Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with John Keeswetter, currently TV media reporter for Cincinnati Public Radio, WVXU-FM and WVXU.org. He was formerly with the Cincinnati Inquirer for 40 years and spent some three decades as that paper's TV critic. He talks with us about the perils and triumphs of covering television from the Midwest, and he shares with us many stories about the local and national celebrities he's met and covered during his illustrious career. They range from the likes of Red Skelton, George Clooney, Woody Harrelson, to talk show host Jerry Springer and PBS star Mr. Rogers. John, you were on your way to newspaper management. You were already in newspaper management, but uh, you had bigger and better things on your horizon. But uh, then you decided to make a career shift. Uh, Talk about that. Well, I had been at the the Enquirer ten years, and and you know I came out of OU. I was editor of the Post, but I was you know trained to be a hard news reporter. I was a hard news reporter for only about two and a half years, three years, and then they uh, moved me into assistant city editor. So then, I was the features editor for about three years, and uh, the only thing I was writing was performance reviews, and, <laughs> and I was worried about who's going to paste up the food section on a holiday Monday, you know, and right. hiring a classical music critic, you know, and I just thought. Um, and my TV critic quit, and I thought, boy, this sounds like fun. I mean, I could, you know, wonder if they let me do it. So I made a pitch. At that point, I was one of the 11 exempt members, you know, because they were starting into a guild fight, and they let me do it. And and so for the next 30 years, I just had this wonderful freedom. I could write and cover what, what – I mean, they trusted me being a former editor that, uh, you know, most of the stories that I did, probably 90 percent were my own idea. Uh, and I can't tell you the number of times uh, a features editor, a sports editor, an assistant metro editor would come seek me out and say, how'd you do this? Says, <laughs> We'd love not to have to go to all those meetings and all this other BS that it takes to crank out the paper. You know, just uh, they see how happy I was that I could just come and, you know, and I, I was blessed. I, I knew sports, so I could cover sports broadcasting as well as entertainment, but I also could cover news and news ratings and, and had a hard news edge in me. But then I could also do the personality profiles and meet my heroes, meet my parents' heroes, and it was it was just a blast. So how did you fashion it? You you put your own stamp on it, I, I know, but you know, you added sports broadcasting, you added 
news and news ratings, that's not your typical well, well, entertainment kind of beat uh, back when newspapers were king. Well, one of the things that shortly after I started doing TV, that one of the somebody, one of the TV says, "Well, you know, you you had no training in television, you know, kind of." <laughs> and I said, "I said yes, but most of the people who watch television don't have a training in television, and I'm writing for those people." So I, I, I tried to explain why what was happening and how it was happening you know i would explain sweeps months you know you're going to see a lot of stuff and it's going to be uh, uh, cranked up at a very high volume for the next four weeks and and at one time i wrote a column saying that you know that uh, uh on the the weekend the thursday and friday after sweeps ended on a wednesday all i counted how many anchors were <laughs> i said they could have put up a gone fishing sign on the anchor desk and it to try to explain to him a bit like that as uh, you know why that happens and that it happens four uh, that times four times a year and wh- why it's so important and May's important because the next book wasn't come until October November and that's an awful long time to have to live with these rates um, I, I I also uh, had seen too many other TV critics who wanted to talk to the producers of the show the right. executive producers right. I thought no you got to talk to the talent you know so I, I I would talk to the talent both news and and entertainment actors, you know, when we went to L.A. because people want to know what, what Bobby Ewing's like or what Judge Harry's like on on uh, Night Court. And, and the same with, with uh, meeting people like Charles Kuralt or uh, Dan Rather or Peter Jennings or uh, Charles Osgood, who I, who I loved. He had a book out that uh, nothing could be finer than a crisis is a minor in the mor- morning. Uh, Charles Osgood did right. CBS morning thing and sometimes did him in first. So I uh, interviewed him, sent him the story. He liked it. And I sent him a copy of his book to sign to me. And he actually signed it. Nothing could be better than a John Kieselwetter. So I thought, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it couldn't be better than that. Uh, you had some interesting, when you were covering news coverage from an entertainment standpoint, you had some interesting anchors, too. Did You had covered Jerry Springer. We had Jerry Springer. Uh, you covered Nick Clooney, George Nick. Clooney's father. Uh, Al Shadokati, who was a big uh, – no, not I mean, he was this – Strictly images and rat-a-tat-tat. You usually only saw the wrist of the reporter holding the microphone. You didn't see the reporters. And, in fact, um, he was at a seminar with CNN, and CNN said, well, you know, we kind of fashioned CNN headline after that guy in Cincinnati, Shadowcotty. Um He was an institution, yeah, yeah, yeah. wasn't he? Uh, Springer was, um, was anchor. I mean, he first he was uh, uh, councilman. And then he wrote the check and, and sat out. And then he came back, and that's when he was mayor after that. People always think that that ended his, no. his political <laughs> career. And then he ran for governor, didn't make it. Channel 5 hired him. And, in fact, when Nick Clooney left the market to go to L.A., that's when Channel 5, WLWT, put Springer on the anchor desk and thought, okay, let's let's build on him. And he, he was a marvelous writer. He would do a nightly commentary and um, – very thoughtful person, and then then they started this this talk show, and really it was more like Phil Donahue than it was like what it ended up to be, and in fact he still did his daily show, and then he did three newscasts, you know, five, six, and eleven, and uh, 
then once he stopped doing news, then it kind of took a left turn and <laughs> became it, it started being sort of those people who remember Phil Donahue, or if you're you're younger, even the beginning of Oprah. Right. It was more um, people in the news, celebrities, uh, interesting uh, topics. Oliver North, uh, the NRA. Uh, street kids. He went out to L.A. and did like a week of shows on kids that were teenagers who were just live, homeless and living on the streets and how they survived. Um, yeah, it was a lot of uh, serious topics, and some of that was, uh, you know, long lost reunions, kind of like, uh, what Amari Povich would do. Um, and then, uh, you know, after and he said when he announced the show, they announced he was going to do this. He said, "And I won't be dancing with the Chippendales," which, of course, like three years later, he had the Chippendales. <laughs> <laughs> Dancing with them. Um, I, I want to sort of get into your head a, a little bit because you made this decision to do be the TV critic and it really expanded to entertainment and sports and, and news and everything else. You're stuck in Cincinnati, Ohio. That's not the hotbed necessarily of – the the media industry, at least the media entertainment industry, which when you started was in New York and and yeah. L.A. and a little bit in Chicago. What were you thinking that you could make an interesting career and life out of covering entertainment from the heartland? Well, it, at, at that point in the seventies. Uh, I guess this. Uh, I guess I started 1985, and, and and I tell people that that I had a great run at newspapers when newspapers were great because twice a year I would go to L.A. We'd have this thing called the TV Critics Press Tour, and basically that meant in the summer all the TV critics, you know, 150 of us from newspapers, big and small, and, and as small as Lexington, Kentucky, wow. Tom Hopkins in Dayton, uh, Columbus had one. Cleveland's the suburban papers, uh, the Willoughby and all, they had one. Toledo had sent somebody out from Omaha, Indianapolis. Anyway, the point being that so you go out there and we're all part of the big ballroom for the Q&As. So you're getting the same material that the New York Times or the Washington Post is. And then afterwards, there'd be these, uh, we call them scrums, where, the, <laughs> where a after the press conference, where, you know, 20 people would surround the network executive or Newhart or Kelsey Grammer, whoever it is, and we'd interview them. And then and it would be like for a three-week period because then there'd be three days of ABC, three days of NBC, three days of, of Fox, three days of, of CBS – through a couple of days of PBS and then four or five days of cable. So that filled up all that time. And, and in that time, for each network, in the evening, there'd be what was called the star party. So that's where if you weren't on a new show but you were on a returning show, whether it be Dallas or ER or Chicago Hope or Cheers or Night, that's where those people would come. That, that was their obligation to come. So that way I could get some one-on-one -on -one time and do a hometowner with Woody Harrelson. Uh, see, George uh, George Clooney bounced through a number of shows before he finally hit on ER, and every year I'd look him up, and we'd talk to him. In fact, true story, right in August or July, whatever it was, before ER hit, he had been out there about 10 years because he went out there for the Facts of Life in like oh, that's 83 right. or 84. Then he was on the first season of Roseanne as her boss and, and other things. And um, he comes into the hotel lobby 
And I waved to him, and he came over and sat down with me. And, and nobody cared. Not even the TV reporters cared because he was just a, a working man actor. And I'm sure they looked at me and said, oh, he's stuck doing another hometowner. <laughs> and he came in carrying a, a, a video cassette, VHS, and he said his dad was – Nick at that point was a movie host for American Movie Classics. And, and he was doing a press conference with American Movie Classics that day. And he said, you know, I, I, you know, I wanted to show him this show. It's the best thing I've ever done, meaning ER. And um, then later that night after the ER press conference, uh, you know, I talked to him a bit about, about his career. And he says, you know, I've been out here 10 years. I've never, you know, I just never managed to get famous. And just talked about how he was still kind of anonymous and all. And then like ER hits and, it, and his life just blew up. It was, uh, you know, Saturday Night Live. He was, did a guest shot on Friends, covers of, uh, of, of uh, TV Guide and Time and Newsweek and – and, um, Wasn't he one of people's sexiest men of the year or something? And, and until he really got big, through the first season of ER, starting the second one, I still had a home phone number. And <laughs> I called him the day after the Emmys because, you know, ER had been nominated for – and he had been nominated for one, but against all of his other co-stars and all. And I actually called late in the afternoon the day after the Emmys, and he picked up the phone and he answered it going, Losers headquarters. <laughs> Just a great guy. So I, you know, whenever he's in town or whenever I can get to him, you know, I, I'll talk to. I haven't talked to him since the Ides of March, which I guess now is uh, seven or eight years ago when he shot that in Cincinnati. But uh, so, so to, to get back to your question, uh, I could get great stuff, uh, hometown stories, a hometown take on a story. I mean, I when I went out there in the winter for the press tour, that we had a bit more free time and shows were in production. So I spent a day at ER with George Clooney. I spent a day at Cheers sitting around the, this empty set with Woody Harrelson. Now, and remind people of Woody Harrelson's Wo- tie to your region. Wo- Woody Harrelson uh, went to high school. He wasn't born in, in Lebanon, Ohio, but he grew up in Lebanon, Ohio, which is just uh, the next county north from Cincinnati, and um, had gone to Hanover College and then kind of picked out of the Over blue. Over in Indiana. Yeah, picked out of the blue to be the bartender on Cheers when Nicholas Colasanto died a couple of seasons in, and uh, he stumbled into this role, and and now you look at his career for all the different stuff he's done. It's just, it's been pretty amazing. But you know, he 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 was just this wide-eyed new Hollywood star when I had some time with him. Another funny story I got to tell sure. you. Sure. So I uh, the the first season of Roseanne. Right. It, it actually started during the writer's strike of '88. So all we had, all we met was Roseanne. We didn't meet. Sarah Gilbert, we didn't meet uh, John Goodman, anybody else. So um, they sent me, because I could do sports and broadcasting, they sent me to the Super Bowl when the Bengals went to the Super Bowl in 89 down in Miami, Florida. <laughs> and and they said, we got a plane ticket, and can you get a press pass once you get down there? So I, I, I got down, and they had a hotel room. So I went to the ballpark early, and I was able to get a, a media pass where I could watch the the, with the NBC people. But out in the parking lot was this pickup truck and a bunch of things, and it was MTV's live party um, <laughs> broadcasting for the and, – and there's a guy leaning on the fence, and I said, that looks like John Goodman. And it was John Goodman from, from – so I went up and introduced him. He said, oh, yeah. I says, you know, I started my career in Ohio. I said, really? Well, and he said, well, I graduated from Northwest Missouri State, went to Broadway, couldn't find a job. 
So I got a job at the La Comedia Dinner Theater in, in Springboro, Ohio. Oh, my. Playing Thomas Jefferson. At, you know, a suburb south of Dayton. A suburb south of Dayton. And he said, I, I did that, and then I went back to New York, and I couldn't find work. I went back to Springboro to La Comedia, and I, worked, I lived with a girl that I'd met there. And I worked as a waiter and made more money as a waiter than I did as an actor. So I mean, <laughs> if you're if you're just a good listener, and you do a little bit of your homework, I, that one I just that was a gift from God. I, I had no idea that he had started in in Springboro, Ohio. But uh, now you you lucked out on on many occasions. If if our audience remembers some some notable shows, WKRP from Cincinnati, yeah. the two. Two of the stars in that ensemble cast, the the guy who owned the station, and Gordon Travis, Jump, right? uh, Gordon Jump, yeah. and, and, Gary, and Sandy. Gary Sandy, both were from Dayton, if I imagine. Yeah, Is the, that the, right? Yeah, the show had actually been canceled in 82, three, three years before I became but, – but there were talks of revivals and occasionally – because what I would do is when I would run into Howard Hessman from the show or uh, – Tim Reed or uh, Lonnie Anderson, I'd always, my question when I could get them aside from the press conference was, what would Jennifer Marlowe be doing today? And, <laughs> and then what would, and then have her run through the cast. And I did the same with Howard. I did it with Tim Reed a couple of times. And then there was a, a, a an attempt, there was, a, for two years, they did a syndicated version called the new WKRP. So I uh, actually went to the set as they were preparing to tape the first season. And Gordon Jump, the big guy, and Les Nesman and Herb Tarlick, the salesman. Those three guys were on the on the remake of the revival. But I so and then I have just researched it and written a lot about it. And when it came to M, I guess Nickelodeon a couple of years ago, then I I wrote about it and, and just had all these wonderful stories. I'm talking to people over time about this great little sitcom. Also, on the other end, uh, at the dramatic end, you had West Wing, where you had three people in the cast that were from Dayton, Ohio. Martin Sheen, the uh, president, uh, Allison Janey, the uh, press secretary, and Rob Lowe, uh, who was part of the staff there in the West Wing. Uh, Martin Sheen would correct you and say he was the acting president. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it was— um, it was amazing to, uh, and, and, you know, because Sheen had played, I think, Bobby Kennedy in a miniseries years before. He was a very activist, uh, a liberal, and so in fact, at one point he had a, in a taping break, he was off to some power plant uh, protest, I think, in Louisiana. But I would talk to them about, you know, when I first met Martin Sheen, he wanted to know if I knew a certain priest that he had known at. at um, in Dayton, at Dayton Chaminade, that was now down in Cincinnati. Which was at that time a Catholic boys' school. Uh, actually, another time I, I met him, he said, you know, I was I was over at uh, Charlie's house for a cookout, Charlie Sheen, his son. And, uh, you know, I got the hot dog and the chips and the plate, and I sat down on these seats. on the, And 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 Charlie was all upset. He came by and said, Dad, Dad, what are you doing? And Martin said, I'm just sitting here. He's, and Charlie goes, no, you can't sit in those. Those are from Crosley Field. <laughs> <laughs> The old baseball stadium. <laughs> and when I interviewed um, Rob Lowe, uh, this was in 1999 at the start of the, the, the show uh, running on NBC, 
uh, he saw my name badge from Cincinnati. He said, hey, I, I, all I want to know about is what is the new baseball stadium going to look like? Because at that point, they were in talks to tear down Riverfront Stadium and build Great American next to it. Um, and Allison Janney had told me, you know, and actually Rob Lowe told me that he didn't realize Allison was from Dayton until a couple of years into the show. And they began comparing notes and realized that Rob said, I was in the high school audience at Miami Valley High School when Allison Janney made her acting debut as a high school student. He That's was, amazing. He, he was there. So, so the other nice thing is, is after the show premiered in the summer, that winter we got a set tour. Uh, of the of the West Wing set of the of the West Wing and the Oval Office and all that you could go and look. And what was fascinating was on all the desks and all these pictures were world leaders, and they and they photoshopped in Martin Sheen's face <laughs> on each one. A, a perfect Hollywood job. You couldn't tell, but everywhere you looked, there are all these pictures of of President Bartlett everywhere. And I just it was, and then another time, for some reason, uh, PBS had. Jerry Ford out on the press tour, and we had a brief chance to talk to him. And, of course, the question was, do you watch the West Wing? Is it really like <laughs> I thought the only time I ever interviewed a president or a former president was Jerry Ford, and the, the only question I could think to ask was about the West Wing. <laughs> <laughs> now, your relationship, if we could call it a relationship, with Rob Lowe has been continuous. You just recently did a, a fairly in-depth interview with him. He, he was uh, coming through Cincinnati and Dayton to do uh, his one-man show, Stories I Only Tell You. Uh, and uh, so I was able to to, to get the interview, uh, at, and we did it on Cincinnati Public Radio, WVXU in Cincinnati, and, and I reminded him of that comment he made to me about the ballpark, and then he, he talked about, he was, actually, when the Reds were in town the same weekend, he was going to finally see a great American and go to the ball game, and he told me about, as a kid, he would go to Riverfront, and he even got on the field once and saved a little vial of dirt that he had, <laughs> that his dad uh, was... Uh, was an attorney, actually still practicing attorney in Dayton, and he wanted to talk about uh, Cincinnati TV personalities like Bob Braun, who did, used to do a live uh, noontime show. He wanted to talk about Uncle Al, who did the Kitty show, and it was just great. But, um, you know, it, 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 it was a great interview. I had prepared a little bit, but I, I didn't know how much of Cincinnati he'd talk about, and, and he just went off. It was great. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication is designed to bring forth the people who bring forth knowledge by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means it succeeds. The Scripps College of Communication is where one generation of thought leaders and storytellers opens the doors for the next. Educating and inspiring each other, bridging disciplines, forging connections, pushing beyond the syllabus and beyond limits. And because all participants belong to a far-reaching community of achievers, they reach higher and further, not just ready for change, but hungry for it, demanding that ideas be heard, perspectives shared, and visions realized. This is how the Scripps College moves the world forward. This is what knowledge demands. 
And this is why the Scripps College of Communications exists. To make it loud, to make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Even though you were in Cincinnati, um, and people would say, well, that's the desert of entertainment, talk about the rich history that you inherited and had to cover. Uh, Cincinnati, and, and some people may remember WLW and WLWT were uh, huge radio and television uh, empires back back in the day. A guy named Pal Crosley started WLW in the late in the early twenties, and uh, by and, and it, it's a fifty thousand watt clear channel station. I was in Milwaukee a couple of weeks ago, and after sundown, driving back from seeing the Reds play the Brewers, we actually flipped it up and listened to the the, the WLW the news game <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And and you, I've listened to them in Orlando and Tampa. And and uh, Morristown, New Jersey, it's just a bl- what they call a blowtorch, and the, the, the Crosley engineers they built their own equipment, and in uh, the 30s, 1934, they built a 500,000 watt transmitter, and uh, so it, it it is it was got an experimental license for five years, and it was the only one that that's ever been granted in the United States. Wow! But they had this big party when they, and and Roosevelt flipped the switch. A, a telegraph key in the White House, and uh, and and they had got a telegram from General Sarnoff of NBC. They got a uh, telegram from Bill Paley of CBS, and when they started broadcasting, they they spoke in Italian, hoping that Marconi could hear them in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> but there was never any evidence they did. And so then they did TV experiments. They did a TV experiment in in the late 30s, and then shut it down for the war. And then they they got into television, where they had not only the station in Cincinnati, but they also owned Columbus, Dayton, and Indianapolis, and they'd put their shows on it. So because of that four-city draw and that Midwest clout, anybody who was anybody came through Cincinnati to get on the show to get up to uh, hit the Midwest audience. And and a, a woman named Ruth Lyons was there forever, and then followed by Bob Braun. But there was, you know, all the great entertainers, you know, Newhart, uh, P- Peter, Paul, and Mary were there only about six months th- had they act together that they were through there. All Bob the, Hope and Bob, Johnny Bob, Bob, Mathis. I remember <laughs> some of these people who would come by. Uh, Andy Williams, Duke Ellington, uh, uh, Edgar Bergen, uh, Roy Rogers. I mean, you just name it. Th- they they were through. So as a little kid, it was fascinating that I could watch th- these greatest stars ever there on the on Cincinnati television. And in fact, then th- th- they had this Ruth Lyons show. But in the morning, they had this crazy funny guy named Paul Dixon. He was on from nine to ten thirty. Both of these live. <laughs> Both of li- these were live, live television. Live television, five days a week. And Dixon kind of did the same show every day, and it was the inside joke. He was very funny, former DJ, and he had a band, and he would have uh, guest stars. Uh, uh, and so when David Letterman gets out of college at Ball State in 1969, he goes to Indianapolis back home, and he watches TV, and he sees this guy Dixon, and he sa- and he t- Letterman told me later, he says, I saw this guy, he did the same show every day, and he was so irreverent and everything. He says, I said, that's what I want to do. <laughs> 
and, and, and that's basically what the, the, the show that Letterman did was very much patterned off of watching this show out of Cincinnati. So Cincinnati television, and as you said, it was Cincinnati, Dayton, Columbus, Indianapolis. Uh, it had Paul Dixon in the morning. It had Ruth Lyons, I think, from noon until about 1.30 uh, in the afternoon. All of those live television. But bringing in all of these stars from everywhere uh, was sort of planted a seed in you as a young guy, I think, to maybe want to interview some of those people. Uh, it, it, it certainly, you know, uh, I, I, they, I, I always was fascinated by the great comedians, Skelton, Hope. Um, those were two of my dad's favorite, and, and Jack Benny. But my dad was on Guadalcanal, and Bob Hope came through, and, and from that point, he was a huge Bob Hope fan. Um, I was also would have to keep him awake to watch Red Skelton, this great uh, <laughs> physical clown and comedian that was on uh, CBS every um, every Tuesday night. And and so then yeah, there, there were, and then I remember also all the times that Groucho Marx was on was on Dick Cavett's show. So it was a big deal that I could, you know, I, I had a feel for what interested me, and I thought, okay, I could write about, you know, explain who these people were or give them some insights um, because I had that same curiosity. I, I always thought that, that when I had a review or look at a show, if it was a new pilot for the fall, my gauge was if I watch the first few minutes, can I guess where it's going to end? And with Seinfeld with uh, Murphy Brown, with The Simpsons, you can't. So right. often it's the same joke over and over again. Uh, with, a, with a drama like ER or NYPD Blue, I always felt, you know, when I saw that first one, I said, I can't wait to see the next one. And because I'm looking at it in July, I'm not going to see the second one till late September. October, maybe. October. So that, 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 I thought, gave me great instincts as to what would be – uh, you know, what, what my neighbors would want to ask me about, or if they were in that room, what kind of questions they'd, they'd have if they could meet these people. So, it, You got to interview most of them, though, I, didn't, I, I, did I was, you not? I, I was blessed. I mean, to, you know, I, I look at the, the great community. You know, I met Red Skelton a couple times. I actually went shopping with him once when he was in town in Cincinnati to, because he would always go shopping a couple of days before and, and buy a folding chair and a couple other props he'd use and he'd leave. But it was a great way to promote his show. So sure. I, I went with him and this woman came up and says, you're Red Skelton, aren't you? And he goes, yes. says, Red Skelton, I'd like to shake your hand. And, and Red goes, well, all you have to do is grab it because at my age it shakes by itself. <laughs> Some of those old entertainers were always on, weren't they? They, 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 they were just always on. I mean, and, and the the great thing for us is the, the um, like it was either A and E or PBS did like a two hour uh, bio of like Jonathan Winters or Bob Newhart, and they'd be Jonathan out there. Winters, who also was from, from Dayton. Dayton. <laughs> and so then you know I would get them aside and, and get them to talk about Dayton. You know, Winters his his mom was a talk show hope host in Springfield. And so somebody was coming in, Dorothy Kilgallen or somebody, uh, what's her name? Kitty Carlisle was playing right. something at the Kenley Players, and they took her all the way out to Springfield to be on her talk show. And and Jonathan Winter says, my mom was was real quick too, says, that's where I got my sense of humor. He says, so Kitty Carlisle, whoever comes into the studio and she kind of looks around and says, gee, this is kind of a Mickey Mouse station. And he said, my mom looked at her and said, yeah, and you're my Mickey Mouse guest. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, Jonathan Winter's father was a banker yeah. uh, and and uh, owned an interest in one of the major Winters uh, inter- independent banks back at, at the day. So, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to, to meet with him several times. And and uh, there's a famous thing back in the, during the Big Red Machine of the 70s that, that Jonathan Winters, who's a huge Reds fan, showed up in the Reds booth and and was a Whip Willis, some uh, undefeated pitcher, and did like ten minutes off the top of his head with Marty and Joe, uh, Marty Brenham and Joe Nux, all the Reds announcers, right. and just just winged it. And like years la- later, I talked to him about it, and I, and I said, do you remember that? Oh, yeah, I remember it. I was so-and-so. And he gave me this whole th- 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 thing about what, what I did. It was not what he did on the air. He just made it up again, <laughs> and it, it went off in a completely different direction. But it was it was fascinating. I mean, interviewing somebody like him, you only – I would record it because there's no way you could keep up, and there's no way you could – I mean, he was like Robin Williams, just a – Well, he uh, was the, the hero and mentor of Robin Williams yeah. in, in many, many – respect. Uh, You have a great image on your Facebook page, John, and that is of you at your desk in the newspaper with earphones on and uh, various tapes and things around with uh, appropriate names on them. And then a big red X down in the lower right-hand corner. Xing out your address when newspapers cut back and you decided to have another career. Talk about that. Well, we we were all uh, we all uh, Gannett split from print and and broadcasting in 2014, and they said, "Well, I all have to reapply for our jobs." And it was interesting talking to the staffers. Everybody would come up to me and said, "Well, you're safe because you get like two million hits on your blog. They're not going to do anything to you." But but you know we're all worried. Well, it turns out. That they eliminated the job of TV critic and and many other positions, and uh, 27 of us left the paper at the same time, including the entire copy desk, which was n- not renewed. And um, so I, I was I had just turned 62 and was a month away from having my first grandson born, and I just I didn't want to shut it down. So I um, talked to a bunch of different people and. And talked to Cincinnati Public Radio, the pub, which operates WVXU, which is the NPR classic news talk, and then there's a classical music station, and and the NPR station also is a repeats on WMUB up in Oxford, and they said, would you mind, you know, would you want to continue covering TV and media for us? You could write your blog, and I said, yeah, that'd be wonderful. That's what I want to do. So I'm able to blog, and and I'm told by a guy who uh, just retired from uh, Tom Taylor, who had an industry radio newsletter for 30, 40 years, that that I'm the only guy that that's writing and being paid by a public broadcaster that can write about commercial radio, commercial television, as well as public broadcasting, uh, so TV you, and radio. You're really doing essentially the same kind uh, of work. They, they, I was but, basically but told, you, just keep on doing what you're doing. We love it. And, and – and it gets them lots of traffic to the website. Uh, there's things like the the news ratings last week uh, uh, for Cincinnati late right. night news uh, when uh, the uh, two popular anchors at WLWT announced their engagement <laughs> January, <laughs> and or when the morning anchor on WCPO twenty year vet wasn't renewed. You know, I put up the story quickly, and, and it was like number one on our website for for months. Um, 
So I'm very blessed in that way. And I also get to do some on-air interviews. Uh, I was able to – they let me do an hour special on when the 50th anniversary when the Beatles played Crosley Field. And I fa- tracked down some people who were there and, and the promoter, and we talked about that. And I did another story on the 40th anniversary of the Beverly Hills Fire, the Big now, Supper. that was a big supper club uh, over in Kentucky across right. the river that, that burned down. On Memorial uh, Day weekend of 77 right. and 162 people – Perished. Uh, perished yeah. in it. And, and I was a news reporter. who co- I didn't cover it that night. I went over the next morning and spent the next week out there, you know, doing the time, place features and the, and the follow stories. But, I, you know, I tracked down the guy who's now fire chief in a little town called Southgate. He said he, said he, he was just a, a brand-new fire officer, and they had a fire, they had a, a, a fire drill there like the week before. And they went up, and they went up, and they, all they looked for were the hydrants and how to do it. They didn't look about if the building was overcrowded, how to get everybody out, and, and whether there was the, the doors were unlocked and all that. And he said the night of the fire, he, he rides the pumper, and they get up there, and they see all these people standing outside. They thought, oh, good, everybody got out. But it was so overcrowded. The, the guest that night was John Davidson. And it was Memorial Day weekend, and there were weddings and, and private parties, and, and they'd, they'd packed so many people into the cabaret room that, that a woman, the, the uh, uh, waitress that I interviewed said, I couldn't just hand the drink to the customer. I had to hand it to somebody who had to pass it down to people to get it. Like at a ballpark. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, because they had blocked the doors with, with a, squeezing everybody in there. And... Um, so anyway, it's, I've been I've been able to do things like that on and stretch in a little bit different direction, and to do it as a as a one hour radio show, and then as I was doing the interviews, and I also did a a, a blog digitally to promote the fact that it was coming up. So I got to do both. So do you have a regular show, or do you no, just no. do specials? I I, I do. Um, an interview about every two or three months on for the Sunday night A and E show uh, around Cincinnati, um, and then I do I'll sit in on interviews with um, uh, on the we have a, a daily or uh, Monday through Friday weekday a show called uh, uh, Cincinnati Edition. So like when Marty Brenneman, the resident announcer, announces retirement the week before the season opened. The host, Michael Monks, and I, and Howard Wilkinson, another OU grad who works for the station, another Enquirer print person who went to WVXU, and we interviewed him. We interviewed the new Reds announcer, who's the new guy in the booth. I've interviewed uh, Jason Alexander. I've interviewed uh, Rob Lowe a couple of weeks ago. I interviewed Rosie Red, although I couldn't say she's the woman. I just had to introduce her as the woman who was who who knew her very well, <laughs> or or as I said. Because she couldn't say, I'm Rosie Red. So I said, okay, you, you know her from the inside out. And so I've been able to, to do different authors and, and different th- – the guy who did – Nick Parisi did a book on, the, on Rod Serling and the, and the comprehensive look at the Twilight Zone. Rod Serling, another guy who started his TV career in Cincinnati. And, and graduated, or at least went. I don't no, know that he graduated Antioch, from no. Antioch College in yeah. Yellow Springs, yeah. Ohio. Yes, true. And uh, so, you know, and years ago I had interviewed some of the people who worked with him, knew him. Uh, uh, one producer, he, uh, Serling also wrote a sitcom for WLW-TV and radio. I can't imagine that. but anyway. Well, the, the producer <laughs> told me uh, he would have to rewrite Rod. <laughs> Rod wasn't happy. So 
you've done all of this and you continue to do this, but you also have another uh, interest in, and I sh- was going to say avocation, but it's really a part of your vocation, and that is looking at sports broadcasting. You've been in love with sports broadcasting for a long time, and you've really got to highlight some of the best broadcasters going. Al Michaels, uh, Red Barber back uh, in in the day, Marty Brenneman, who's been with the Reds forever, uh, Joe, John, uh, Joe, Joe Nuxall, who was his partner forever. Uh, in fact, I, I'm I'm doing a book about Joe from my conversations over all the years. I every time I interviewed him, I'd always uh, tape recorded, so I had a lot of comments on things that I never used in stories. Uh, it now, for up, people who don't know, Joe Nuxall was the youngest pitcher ever in baseball. Correct. Correct. In 1944, which would be 75 years on June 10th. Okay. 15-year-old Joe Nuxall was called up by the Reds to pitch against the St. Louis Cardinals. They, they had, because, and that was four days after D-Day. So all the very good players had gone off to war, and they were actually scouting Joe's father in Hamilton, and they saw this big 6'3", 195 kid out in right field, and, and then they saw him pitch a little, and they wanted to sign him the previous fall. They did sign him that spring, and when school was out, he w- took the bus and went down. And so it was a, some blowout game, and actually, the the first batter he retires. This was in the top of the 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 top of the ninth against the world champion Cardinals and Stan Musial. The second batter, um, he he retired two batters and put a man on, and then another guy got on, and all of a sudden the bases are loaded, and and he realizes where he is. This is this, this <laughs> that he's in the major leagues. That, that this isn't Wilson High School, and the guy at the plate is Stan Musial, who had won the batting crown the year before. And Musial, you know, ripped one into the gap, and and he gave up uh, five runs, uh, walked four or five, threw a couple of wild pitches. It was just an ugly pitching line. And in fact, but he he's all told people on and off. He he jokes about this. He has a good. He had a good sense of humor about about this situation. But to his credit, he uh, got his amateur status back. Went back to high school. Played in his senior year, basketball and football. And then went to the Reds minor leagues, and in 1952 came up again. So 44 to 52, wow. that gap. And then he pitched for the Reds and Major League Baseball from 52 to 66. Was an all-star a couple a of times. long career. Hit 15 home runs, and then he became a broadcaster and broadcast from 67. Uh, and he was still doing a partial schedule in, 19, in 2007, the, the year he died. So 40 the, years yeah, in the booth. Yeah, yeah. 40 years at a baseball booth. So and, and 31 of them with Marty Brenneman. And the two of them were just just a wonderful comedy team, a great pair, very entertaining. They could make a bad game fun because you wanted to listen to Marty and Joe. So uh, that, that's that's the, the part of my book. But I— I, like I said, I've been very blessed because also Trumpy came from Cincinnati. Bob Trumpy, the uh, uh, announcer, and Chris and, and Collinsworth, who's on Monday Night Foot, uh, Sunday Night Football, which is the number one TV show. Again, that's how broadcasting and sports intersect. Um, you know, Al Michaels did uh, left the Reds to do the Giants, and they got on ABC and NBC and everything else. And those people who are into sports and sports journalism, Peter King, who is my old the, roommate, who is the uh, sort of guru of uh, the NFL, yeah. and 
writes for Sports Illustrated, but also is a producer of all kinds of uh, NFL shows. Uh, and that he wonderful was, website. He, yes. he was your roommate here at Ohio he, University? No, he was he, – he was a couple of years – In Cincinnati, yeah. that's right. When, when I – back in the day, in the from the in the 70s, the Enquirer would take generally one OU intern per quarter and then a couple in the summer. And so people like um, – uh, uh, Dan Sewell, who's the AP bureau chief in, in Cincinnati, in Cincinnati, room with me, um, and uh, Peter King spent a summer with me when he was a summer intern at both on news, not in sports, for the Enquirer and our Kentucky bureau, and then he came back after graduation and did sports, and uh, quickly after three four years moved to Newsday from Newsday to Sports Illustrated, and and uh, no, just a great career. <laughs> Speaking of sports broadcasting, Cincinnati also had a, a gentleman by the name of Wade Hoyt, who uh, was a uh, New York Yankee uh, for th- the bulk of his career, uh, came to Cincinnati and pretty much had a one-man booth for a, a number of years. And as growing up in, in Dayton, I would I would – uh, listen to him and pray for rain delays because he was one of the best storytellers ever. He he the, actually they made two LPs, two long playing albums <laughs> really? of his the know. best of Wait Hoyt uh, in the rain and and he would tell all these great stories about him as a player and 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 he played with Babe Ruth and Gehrig and and, and right. the, he was on the twenty seven Yankees and had all these great stories. He. Uh, when he started with as in radio in Cincinnati, uh, very early on in his career, he, um, he he was also quite quite a drinker, and and was went on a bender and it couldn't be found and ended up in a hospital, and and they finally found him and they, the story went out that he that he was hospitalized for a case of amnesia, to to which <laughs> to which the babe sent him a telegram. He said, "I, I heard you're in the hospital. With a, I heard you had a case of amnesia." He says, "That's a new brand." <laughs> <laughs> but there was Wade Hoyt, there was Red Barber, there was Al Michaels, then Marty and Joe, a, a real history, a, a microcosm of sports broadcast. And, and, and Red Barber had never done a professional game when he came to Cincinnati to start with the Reds in 34. They remember this kid in the white linen suit from Gainesville. And, and when Powell Crosley, who owned WLW, bought the club to save it because it was going bankrupt – they, he said, bring up that announcer from that Florida, that, the guy, the redhead with the white suit. So he, c- he came to Cincinnati and did his first game, and he had never seen a professional game. And I've t- had, had the great fortune to talk to Red Barber several times over the years. And, and Red said, said, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there doing the game, and I look over my shoulder, and behind me is Peter Grant, who is the legendary WLW radio announcer, right. later the TV newsman. And he said about the fourth or fifth inning, I looked over my shoulder and Peter Grant was gone, so I guess I was doing okay. <laughs> he had never done a, a professional game, although he'd done a lot of Florida sports, and it was a no-hitter. The, the, the pitcher took a no-hitter into the ninth, and he's calling a no-hitter his first game. And he was there from 34 through 38, and then the, got the call to go to New York and went to New York and you know covered the Brooklyn Dodgers and later the Yankees, and, and it was the first uh, – first broadcaster in the Hall of Fame. And some younger people may remember Red Barber uh, as a frequent guest on uh, Morning Edition with 
uh, Bob Edwards. But he and Bob Edwards uh, had a, a great relationship uh, together, and Bob would have these weekly Friday interviews with Red Barber, who, and it was absolutely engaging. And, and it largely was not about sports, but about life and flowers and azaleas and everything. Yeah, true, and, and that's when I had the opportunity to interview him because there was a couple of milestones that for his Cincinnati broadcasting days, but also for for Morning Edition and, and in the Bob Ed, Edwards era. So I had the excuse to call Red at his home a couple of times and interview him, and it just was a, a delight. Well, John, uh, I could talk to you all day, but we're going to wrap this one up. But next year, we're going to have to talk about your book. That's fine. In, in, in depth, because I can't wait to read it. I, I've got it. I must say, I've, I've done a lot of digging, and I've got some great stories about about Joe and and about Marty and Joe and Reds baseball. If you love Reds baseball, uh, look for the old left-hander and me probably in about a year. So, and even if you're not a Reds baseball fan, if you're just into the lore of baseball and baseball broadcasting, uh, it's it's going to be a must-read. I'm sure. Well, thank you, thank you, Tom. Thanks, John. I really appreciate your time. Today we've been talking to media reporter John Keysweater about the life of a TV critic stuck in the Midwest and his 40-plus years in journalism. Spectrum is produced by WWB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available at the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please go to your favorite site and rate us or review us. If you have any questions or comments about our podcasts or have suggested topics for us to cover, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. Thank you.